everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the Food and Wine Variety Show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this beautiful weekend here in D.C. We have got a kicking show. Spring is kind of in... Uh, I no, looked it's over. Not. It's cold outside. No, I looked over the horizon, and I saw spring, and I'm, I'm, I'm all jacked up. Um, on today's show, we're going to be joined by Mitch Berliner, the genius impresario behind Central Farm Markets. He's going to tell us what the farmers are busy doing right now, plucking cows and milking chickens and that kind of thing. Um Kimberly Hall is the founder of Sip and Tipple. It's a membership club that offers a curated spirits uh, shopping experience and and other benefits to members. It helps them uh, enhance their at-home bar experience with black-owned spirits brands. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to be drinking a lot of cocktails, too. Cannot wait. Well, you didn't mention who's going to be making oh, the sorry, cocktails. Oh, I'm sorry. She's in with Tracy Franklin, who's her spirits curator. And uh, Tracy's the one actually whipping up those cocktails. Yes. Right okay. now. All right. Uh, uh, Deep Magar is co-owner of Himalayan Yak. It's an out, out. It's really it's an outstanding and out of the ordinary restaurant out in Ashburn, specializing in Nepalese uh, cuisine, including yak. Yeah, I'm excited. Yak. Okay. Don't um, say it. Okay. <laughs> um, Dinesh Tapadali is founder of Incredible Eats, and this guy is brilliant. He got. It's- t- incredible. Incred. Et- incredible. Right. Incredible eats. Yes. Never mind. Um, but he got sick of seeing plastic eating utensils go straight into landfills. Me too. So he sat down at a table, literally, and invented completely compostable, edible plant-based spoons. They're crafted with non-GMO wheat and corn and other uh, um, uh, veggies. And um, he's going to join us later to talk about it. He's made two million of them already at his kitchen table. I can't wait. All right. Crazy. Next. And as a guy who eats four eggs a day, I always enjoy a good yolk. No? Okay. Um, and I was glad to see the cookbook author, Lisa Steele, is coming onto the show to talk about her new cookbook, The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook, over 100 fabulous recipes to use eggs in unexpected ways. We're going to hear about the book. book. It's gorgeous. But Lisa also can tell us a lot about eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be surprised to hear about what the difference between brown eggs and white eggs is. Um, and um, let's go to Mitch. Yeah, what Mitch? You hey, know about Mitch, eggs. What's going You're on? You're a good egg, Mitch. At Central Farm Market, I know there's eggs there, but what else is happening? Well, of course, we have real eggs that are fresh from farmers every mm-hmm. single Saturday and Sunday. But mm-hmm. um, I bet those sell out on? pretty fast, so, huh? Well, by the way, um, we can probably get some yak salami going too. <laughs> okay. But um, let me tell. I don't know. I might yak. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Don't don't talk back. Yeah. Yak. Yak. One of you was going to say that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yes. Anyway, so tell us about the market, Mitch. So what's going on in everybody's minds right now? We're getting a little tired of winter. What's the spring is on the horizon, to mm-hmm. quote your famous husband. Mm-hmm. And um, so farmers are very busy in their greenhouses now. So your listeners should know things are not necessarily planted by from seed right out into the fields. They are started in greenhouses. So all of our farmers are busy right now planting all kinds of herbs and vegetables 
to be planted out as soon as we are appropriate uh, weather for each variety. So we have greenhouses full of heirloom tomatoes, which some of them will probably be ready in April mm. uh, because they're going to ripen. In Daddy the loves tomatoes. Yes, very yep. good. And, and some some varieties of all kinds of fruits and vegetables will be planted um, in the fields again when it's appropriate. So I just thought that would be of interest to your listeners. Um, because because, I, because it really changes. Time. But it's what's interesting about that is our whole perception on you know when fruits and vegetables are available has really changed with the modernization of farming, right? So to make you know there was like it, the whole saying used to be don't eat a tomato if it's not from you know the summer has really changed because there's all this new way that they maintain their taste and nutritional value and everything so that really good tomatoes are available local tomatoes are available almost all year right you are 100% correct mm-hmm. and the technology is is excellent and they're even to the point where they have special lighting uh that's got the spectrums what helps photosynthesis and a lot of the greenhouses now are green in terms of the amount of energy they use in the closed loop systems mm-hmm. so um and of course the number one reason why it tastes better locally it's picked ripe and it gets right to you right without transported thousands of miles away mm-hmm. we're here for it all right mitch tell everybody please where they can find you at central farm markets both online and uh in person. Absolutely. So we have two year-round markets for your listeners to visit. One in Northern Virginia on the parking lot of the George Marshall High School, right near Tyson's Corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one is our flagship uh, market in downtown Bethesda on the parking lot of Bethesda Elementary School. Great. Right. Both markets year-round. Go to centralfarmmarkets.com and learn all about your all radio right. star. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you. So let's go to Kimberly Hall and Tracy Franklin from Sip and Tipple. And uh, the the great thing about this, it's not just a club of, and uh, about, you know, curated spirits and all that, but it's really about spirits from black-owned uh, businesses that don't have, it's about shining a spotlight on them that is not generally on them around the country. It's their, you know, they're coming on strong, but uh, most of the spirits companies are not black owned and um, and it's hard for uh, it's hard for them to like break through. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about your concept and how you came up with it. Um, well, I started working on Sip and Tipple around this time last year, actually, mm-hmm. and I came up with the concept. I was at home um, during quarantine, Sipping like and most tippling. of us. Yes, <laughs> a little bit of that. And I saw a locally black owned vodka, and I was like, wow, I've never heard of this or even noticed this in was a store dry? before. It was Blackleaf. Oh, oh Blackleaf. Yeah, okay. Blackleaf. And we so, know Chanel. So uh, I was yeah, like, I did too. Yeah, she's I, great. I had no doubt you did. <laughs> right. Um, And so I was kind of like, how did I not know about this? Because when the world used to be open, my friends and I would go to all of the bars and um, local distilleries and kind of go out of our way to support a lot of the local brands. Mm -hmm. And to discover I wasn't doing the same with some black owned brands in the area was a little disappointing. But also it was. But then it was also motivating. And so I just kind of started doing research and figuring out, oh, if it was that one, how many more are there? Well, So let me ask you a question. And I don't I don't mean to dive down too deep on this, but. Do you think there's also been a, a general shift in how brands are presenting themselves? I mean, for a while, perhaps a black-owned brand wasn't saying 
they were black owned. Were they always saying it? Was it? Is it? Can you speak to that just a little bit? Hi, absolutely. I, I'm I, Tracy Franklin. I just want to speak to this a little bit, only in that um, the the barriers uh, to entry within mm-hmm. the spirits industry have kept a lot of people of color out of the right. industry. Money being one, I absolutely. totally understand but licensing that. and all sorts of different things. So actually, it's that it didn't exist. So gotcha. it wasn't until I believe 2012 that the first a black man got the DSP in the United States. Um, so legal distillation. So it's really that it, it really hasn't been. We just haven't been represented. Gotcha. And now that we are represented, we're being very loud, very proud. And I think there's a lot of great organizations like Sip and Tipple who are going to really help educate and, and be inform. an amplifier for Absolutely. it. No, I um, applaud it. So uh, just tell us quickly, Kim, how do people utilize Sip and Tipple? So when our members join, they take our um, Tipple flavor profile quiz, which was developed by Tracy, <laughs> uh-huh. and that tells us what their palate is, what type of spirits do they like, what do they like to fill on their tongue. But a part of that also, we ask, do you want to kind of stay in your lane or would you like to be adventurous and discover some new spirits? Uh-huh. And so at the end of that quiz, we take that information, look at the curated selection for that season and figure out, okay, what are the best bottles for you? What are the best uh, recipes to help bring out the flavors that match your palate? or maybe that'll push you a little bit more. Okay, on that note, Tracy, what are you making for us first? Absolutely. So uh, our first cocktail, I really wanted to focus on somebody who would come up with a, who enjoys fruity, tart, sweet, so like like high top notes, enjoys those. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe a middle tier on things that are a little smoky or spicy, and then has a a low tolerance for alcohol burn, Mm -hmm. right? So all of those things are kind of tested within this quiz. So what I've created is a sour, which is going to give you those really nice top notes, but using hibiscus, which gives you really lovely floral notes. Sure. And we're using that black leaf vodka, which is a fantastic grape-based, actually, um, vodka. Great. Thank you. All right. While you're getting to that, we're going to head to our first guest. Um, Deep Magar, he is one of the uh, owners of a really interesting restaurant out in Ashburn. It's called Himalayan Yak. And I think the name it's, you know, itself will say to diners, you're going to have a different kind of experience here. Uh, Deep, welcome, welcome to the show. Why don't you give us a little background on you and um, and talk a little bit about the concept behind the restaurant. Please. Oh, absolutely. So my name is Deep Magar. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been here in the States for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, before opening a restaurant, uh, I used to work for the Hyatt Hotels and the Four Seasons Hotel. Okay, so you got some, you got some, you got some background you got some here. You got some hospitality in your, in your veins. A little bit. And before <laughs> that, I used to work for the cruise ship. Oh, okay. So... I don't know. You may have heard about the Carnival Cruise, where I used to work for 2005 to 2010. Oh, you're a party guy, too. That's fun. All right. Okay. So, but why open up a restaurant in Ashburn, specifically focusing on uh, cuisine from Nepal? So, I used to have a restaurant in Alexandria called uh, Royal Nepal. Uh, So, we ran for four years. The reason we wanted to move here in Ashburn, because my brother has two little daughters. Mm-hmm. And they are they are like nine and eleven, so they are about to go to middle school, but they are still back home in Nepal. But they are coming very soon. Anytime oh. they are coming here, and my brother believed that this area is good for the kids to have a, a school. But as you were creating your menu and your restaurant, how are you engaging with that community? Not everybody is familiar with. Uh, cuisine from Nepal. So can you tell us a little bit about how you're engaging with the community to educate them? So the Nepal is technically is in between India and China. So our 
our food is influenced by both sides. So anybody's used to with Indian food or Chinese food, this would be perfectly fine with our food because we have lots of curries, which is very similar to Indian food. And mm -hmm. we have called the momo. It's like a dumpling, which is very similar to the Chinese dumpling. It tastes a little bit different, but it's very, very similar. So that's how I educate people. If they are, if they like the Asian, like South Asian food, and this would be perfectly fine. Well, let's talk about wait, the different wait, tastes. Wait, 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 babe, we got to take a break. Why oh. don't we take a uh -oh. break? And then when we come back, let's talk, let's dig a little deeper and talk about uh, some of the other things that you're offering. Yes? Yeah. Okay, great. All right, quick break. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. Uh, we are going to be trying some cuisine from Nepal, and I can't wait. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking to Deep Magar, who is one of the owners of Himalayan Yak out in Ashburn. And Deep, before the break, you were talking about Momo dumplings, which sound very interesting, but they're, they're made with pork, buffalo, and chicken, which are very familiar, of course, to, to your American um, uh, audience. But they're also made with yak, and um, not I, as many people are familiar. Not, with yak. not as many people are familiar, would they wouldn't know a yak if they fell on one. So talk a little bit about yak and what yak meat uh, tastes like, and you know, yak is the milk yak, and yak cheese, is the, all of that. The yak sort of an all-purpose um, um, herbivore, like a cow or something else. So technically, the yak is known as a mountain cow. It's, it's exactly the same breed from the cow. The difference is yak is known as the healthiest meat on the planet. Hmm. And why? If, so, it, so it's super healthy because, like, for a while, you know, um, they were really pushing bison as a super, super healthy meat uh, because it's so lean. So is yak in that way uh, similar? So I believe that yak is number one and the bison, I think, comes to the number two. Okay. Because the yak is the leanest meat on the earth. Uh, the yak is the only animal. I be They believe that the yak has more omega-3 than salmon. Wow. We need to be eating well, more yak. Imagine so a river of yaks swimming upstream. So what, um, can you talk about like the cheese and the milk and things like that? Are you incorporating that in the menu? So we do not have the yak milk because in USA, none of the farm has license to milk the yak. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, there is only one farm in Colorado has license to make the cheese. So she milked the cow, but she cannot sell the milk. Sorry, she milked the yak, but she cannot sell the milk, but she can make cheese and she can sell it. Uh -huh. So the, the yak butter we have, we source from Mongolia. So Mongolia is the biggest country to produce the yak. So we saw there is a big company in California who sourced the yak butter, clarified yak butter from Mongolia. Uh -huh. and we buy from them. But for the yak meat, they have lots of farm in Colorado, Pennsylvania, Utah, Nebraska. Even they have in Virginia, too. Amazing. So when you when folks come in for the first time and they haven't been in the restaurant and they see yak on the menu and they go, yak? Like, how do you how do you introduce them to it's it? It's uneducated. I mean. This is an adventurous area. I'm sure people are pretty educated now. I don't know if they are or not. I'm asking about the ones that aren't. I mean, what happens there? Do you give them a taste? Uh, do you talk them through it? Do you, how does it work? So I would say if you are used to with beef, if you are used to with the filet mignon, short rib or prime rib or either one, so you should be perfectly fine because that's it's very similar. Uh, what we have on the menu is called grilled yak. It's a small appetizer, but it's mm -hmm. a very lean. It's more like a filet mignon. We sous it for a few hours, then mm. simply grill, serve medium to medium bread. That's how people taste the yak. 
Then we do have the yak momo. This is like brown yak meat. We put all the warm spice and we make our own house-made dough wrap in the dough and we steam and serve with a little bit of stirred tomato sauce. That's mm, yeah, also that amazing. Good. It sounds delicious. <laughs> Why aren't you in studio? Right. <laughs> I feel like we should be able to That's taste right. this. Well, listen, we really appreciate you joining us this morning. Um, we cannot wait to get out there and see what you're doing. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online, please? And, and on, on the street. In- or on Instagram. Absolutely. So you can follow on Instagram. It's a Himalayan Wild Yak. Same thing with the Facebook. Mm-hmm. And the we are located in the Bramilton Town Center. It's in Ashburn, Virginia. The address would be 22885 Bramilton Plaza, Bramilton, Virginia. Great. 20148, Suite okay. M100. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It was great having you on. All right, let's go back to Sip and Tipple. All right, so Tracy and Kimberly. This was a great drink. Yay. And I'm not a fruit-forward drinker. I like uh-huh. spicy and smoky. Personally, yeah, Yeah. Um, but this was really lovely. So, um, just tell us about the questionnaire, the kinds of questions that you ask, and then how you take that data and decide on drink. So, I'm going to take the first half of that question um, because one of the when I was starting this, one of the things I felt was really important is that people are able to find things that they actually like, right? Mm-hmm. And we're not just going to have a bottle sitting on the shelf collecting dust. And in order to do that, I knew I had to find someone that do much more about the spirits industry than I did mm-hmm. to help identify those flavors. And so that's where Tracy came in and developed a really great quiz. I let she's her wearing tell a superwoman about. costume. Yeah. So. Yes. <laughs> so, Tracy, the questions are very interesting. I mean, I took the yes. quiz myself. What were you looking for as far as flavor profiles? And were you thinking about the curated spirits you already had? Like, were you thinking about the spirits or were you thinking about cocktails? So I was thinking about flavor. Okay. Um, if any, anyone that knows me knows that I am an, a slightly obsessed with flavor. Uh-huh. Um, and so what I really wanted was to ensure that as people got their their bottles um, or recipes, uh, that they were felt comfortable with them, that they were recognizing um, sensations on their palate, mm-hmm. that they were recognizing flavors that they'd tasted before, things that made them comfortable, and also understanding that where they sat, like what would be the next step to push them just a little bit. So the way I structured it was first asking things about vegetal notes, floral notes, fruity notes, mm-hmm. and all of those things kind of sit at the top of your palate. Vegetal can get a little bit low, um, stewed cabbage, things like that can definitely be a different flavor. But if you're thinking more of like mints or herbal, that kind of component, those are very much top notes. So have a series of those. And then things that are are much more low and base notes. So Mm -hmm. you're smoky or spicy, as in cardamom and nutmeg and black pepper, like that No, kind of I thought spice. the questions were very, very clear, especially right. for the uninitiated in cocktails. Like, I'm sure a lot of people are like, I, mean, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So that's why cocktail drinking can be so uh, fraught, because people don't really know what they're looking for right. in that cocktail. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about how you guys curated all these spirits. Wonderful. Um, because that must have been fun research. Uh, <laughs> so what are you making for us next? Uh, the next thing is going to be in Manhattan, but we've spiced it up with a little bit of a spiced coffee syrup. Ooh. And then we're going to use a little bit of cherry bitters to go along with our beautiful filthy cherries. Oh, okay. love it. Okay, while you're doing that, we're going right. to get really cool and dive down deep. Before I introduce our next guest, I just want to hit you with some facts that he provided. It takes 1,000 years for plastic to compose and with 100 million plastic utensils used every it's day. Plastic to decompose. What did I say? You said compose. Yeah, decompose. <laughs> okay. Like what Beethoven's doing. <laughs> Same thing. Um, so our next guest is is a stone cold genius. Um, 
Dinesh Tadepali is is the founder of Inc- Incredible Eats, and he's brilliant. Uh, he got tired of seeing plastic utensils going to landfills, so he sat down at his kitchen table, basically, and invented completely compostable, edible plant-based spoons uh, crafted with non-GMO wheat, corn, oats, brown rice, and chickpeas. Welcome to the show, you genius you. Hi, Dinesh. Yes, hi, Dinesh. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, and uh, really, uh, really happy to be here, so and Nikki. I, I, we're so curious. I mean, when when I read about what you were doing, I mean, listen, we compost and we recycle, and we feel like we're like making right that's decisions great. in mm-hmm. our lives. Yeah, that's great. But what you're doing is is taking it way to a next level. So, talk about what that moment was for you, and how you decided to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the the lightning moment started at an ice cream shop when I went with my kids, had an ice cream, and I just threw the cup and the spoons. And they had this, they had to, we had to separate the cup and the spoons separately. And I, when I put the plastic spoons in the bin, I saw thousands of them in the bin there. Mm-hmm. And a, a a question that struck me, that stayed stayed on me on with me forever, was. I'm, as an educated person, why didn't I think twice before using a plastic spoon just for 10 minutes? And I know that it's going to be in the in the planet for a long time. Well, right. why didn't you think twice about getting a cone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, cone was an option yeah. too. But again, I, 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 just, I just thought in the last 12 years of my stay in the U.S. or even before in India as well, why am I not thinking twice before using any plastic cutlery okay. or any plastic. No, I mean, it's you're 100% right. And we're also, um, we all lose focus, right? We're not paying attention, which is really what's happening. But so now you decide to make a change in the utensils that we're using. So how did you create it? I mean, that how did you do it? Yeah, sure. Um, so I once I came back home and I did some research, it, I, I had a guilt that I have been using without thinking about it. I mean, like in the sense, irrationally just using them every time when I do a takeout, whenever I go out to have a food. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do something like when people can think twice. So I looked at the alternatives and the the green washed compostable cutlery didn't really fit the bill because there's a lot of challenges of, of, of sorting it and sending it to the right composting facilities. I spoke to a few composting facilities. They said they don't like to take cutlery because of high contamination of plastic in the cutlery. So there's a lot of reasons that it doesn't really work. And that's when oh, I thought, so you mean why not make... Wait a minute. So it's baloney, most of it? when they say Because I felt the... like those cornstarch ones. Uh, yeah, so it it only works if your city sorts it. I mean, if the if the consumer sorts it correctly and the city picks it up correctly, oh. sends it to the right composting facility, and the composting facility has the machines that can separate out cutlery which has contaminated. You know what? We have a friend whose whose family is, is in waste management, and she said that the when in doubt, throw you know it what out. the consumer thinks is you know oh I'm I'm being so environmentally responsible um, is 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 tempered by the by the realities of what's in the products in the first place Mm -hmm. so okay so so you sat down with a table full of mush and made utensils how did you do it (laughs) uh no i actually uh, spent my paternity leave and went down to asia and other places to find the manufacturer of edible cutlery Mm-hmm. So I, I actually went on the ground. I, I I went on the foot and I tried to find and I found few people, but I, it didn't really match us. So one challenge that everyone had was they knew how to make edible cutlery at home using like some trays and bake them. But how do we make it manufacturable, like scale at scale? Right. How can we make tens of thousands of spoons per hour or per day? 
Right. So that's where that's where our engineering degree came into use. I am not from I'm not a food industry guy. I'm not from the food industry. I've been an engineer for the past 12 years. So I decided, yeah, this is a good problem to tackle and start a startup. Okay, I, I am going to interrupt and, you. Do you know how many engineers have gotten into the food industry? Because we talk to a lot of them. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Okay, that's it's good. Well, because it, it's more fun and tastes better. Right. That's what... Okay, so go ahead. Keep going. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. No worries. Yeah, that's actually a good fact to know. Um, yeah, and then we, I, I and my partner in India, Krivil Patel, we invented the machine that can make the spoons possible. So is it so a it press? It took us a lot of time. Is it like a mold that presses them out? How yes, it it's more. I mean, I can't disclose everything because we're still patent pending. Of but course. yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a mix of compression right and uh, heat. Yeah, <laughs> compression and heat. And uh, we figured out how to do it at scale. So when we started, um, like I think the first machine came out, it, it was only making 100 spoons a day. So I got those spoons back to the US. I went to a trade show called Cater Source. And you won't believe, I just went with a suitcase and four spoons in my hand, nothing else. Mm -hmm. I didn't have like fancy boots or no, no banners. No big signage, right? Yeah. I was just with the suitcase. I didn't even know how to go sell. It's the first time I'm going into a food trade show and trying to find uh, like find my customers. And I found my first customer. He ordered 150,000 spoons right on spot. Oh That's my, my god! First order. Yes, I, I was like, what? And then okay. you called. No. You, you okay, called wait, your, your partner to... and said, "We have a problem." Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Dinesh, we have yeah. to take a quick break. But when we come back, yeah, sure. I want to talk about. I mean, we're calling them edible utensils, but I want to know how they hold up while we're eating. Yep. And then yep. how we actually dispose of them. This is David and Nikki Nellis. We're getting an education today on Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. Okay, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And Dinesh, I don't want to let the energy of the conversation die because of commercials. So you 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 got your first order of 150,000. Is it just spoons or do you have knives? Uh, yeah, it's at that time, it was just spoons. Wow. Now we introduced other shapes. So as soon as I got uh, got the order, when I went back home, I had, I spoke with my wife. We sold our home. We scaled our facility. Within five months, we, we fulfilled the order. Wow. Okay, I... so can we talk about what the utensil is and how it is utilized? Like if I'm putting the spoon in ice cream, does it it must eventually deteriorate. So what's its, what's its life? How long does it uh, last? Yeah. So it stays firm for up to 25 minutes in a hot soup okay. and about 50, about 45, 50 minutes in an ice cream. So they're quite, they're quite crunchy and strong. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, a lot of people initially we had issues because they just thought it as a snack and ate it. And it was like, oh, why is it too hard to eat? <laughs> the concept is even, yeah, you have to eat is with it Is it like first. a cookie? So, calling, yeah, calling, yeah. calling like all biscotti. stupid consumers. <laughs> right. Yeah. But is it is it like a cookie? Is it yes, made yes. like a cookie? Is that like sort it's of like, it is? It's like a hard cookie, I would say. Like a like, you can you can actually compare it against uh, um I forgot that word. Um the fortune cookie. All right. Oh, that so, makes sense. Gotcha. But, but let me yeah. ask this. I mean it's a spoon. So are you able to basically morph that into knife and fork so you can sell sets and you know, cutlery sets? Yeah, we actually scale so much. We can make like 40,000 spoons a day and 20,000 sporks per day right now. Sporks, right. Starting some, And starting summer, we are launching edible straws and edible chopsticks. Oh, that's great. Okay, well, chopsticks, I was going to ask about that because one of the things that really, you know, especially during the pandemic, we all know we consumed way more plastic because, you know, people couldn't get access to compostable items uh, for takeaway, right? So it was just really hard but i mean even though i would beg wherever i ordered from to please not include plastic forks plastic spoons whatever 
or chopsticks or straws or any of that or any of that they would always throw it in there which made me so yeah. upset because then you have not then there's nothing you can do with it because you don't want to use it and you don't want to throw it, so it just piles up in a drawer but chopsticks are really interesting because i think about the chopsticks that come in any order those can't be composted right because they're treated yep. Uh, yes, you're right. Oh, well, I always throw them in the compost. You can, they're not they're not compostable. Oh, and, a, yeah, and and a lot of bamboo cutlery is the same. Uh, bamboo itself, as a plant, is very eco-friendly, mm-hmm. but because of the process, the chemical process that it goes through, it actually creates a lot of waste in the environment. I mean, yeah. So because it's very treated, it's like the treated wood in the U.S. and for wow. the construction. So, so now your like, chopsticks, how do they hold up? Uh, I mean, it's, we just have like our first few samples. They hold pretty well too because uh, they're like a similar structure and the strength, size strength of a spoon. So they're, they're pretty strong. I mean, obviously you can't like play with it. Drum, you can't play drums with it. It'll break. But yeah, you can eat with it. <laughs> yeah. That's right. amazing. I mean, I feel like you're really on the cusp of changing <laughs> the way people eat. What kind eat of engineer food. were you? Were you a software engineer or an electrical engineer? Hardware. Hardware, hardware, electrical engineer. So, yeah. and, and see, yeah, my point is I want people to think twice, irrespective of whether they believe in plastic pollution or not. The f- innovative and fun aspect of this product will help them reduce plastic consumption and also make them think, why, why, am, why, haven't, why have I not been using something else instead of plastic? Right. Well, I th- you listen, this is a lazy answer, but it's all about convenience, right? Like, we all get super lazy when it's inconvenient. So making the inconvenient choice is the smartest way to go. How do we, you're such a brainiac. It's really amazing. This is great. How do we order this stuff? Uh, Yeah, so um, listeners and you all can go to Mm IncredibleEats.com, IncredibleEatsEats.com. That's our website, and uh, they can follow us on our Instagram or Facebook or any other social media at ECO Eco Incredible. We have to do this. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, really, everything you're doing is so exciting, and I hope maybe in a year you'll come back and tell us what else you're doing. Well, you should have a lifeguard shirt on because you're going to save the planet. There you go. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank right. you. Thanks good. for joining us this morning. Yep, yeah, appreciate it. You were great. You. All right. Great. Bye. Okay. All right. Let's go back to Sip and Tipple. Let's go back to Sip and Tipple. So we're All drinking right. out of glass. So uh, we're being super uh, That's beautiful. smart. Yeah, yeah, this is gorgeous. So when you both work together to come uh, to uh, do your research and curate the spirits that you carried, how did you go about that research? So we went probably a little, we're going a little backwards, right? And so I ordered in a bunch of different things that we've been tasting and put it in categories. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. the specific things that are offered in each curation will be determined mostly by our members. So when you take our flavor quiz, what are the type of um, spirits that our members would like to see that that meet their palate, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do they like smoky? Do they want something with some vanilla in it? And so once we get all of our member input, which is why there is some delay time, and when you take your quiz and then we take that information back, we find the spirits that match your palate, and then you get your shipment because we want it so to be a pretty personalized. So what does a shipment look like? What does a shipment look like? You'll get two full-size uh, two full-size bottles in your delivery. We have a local courier that will drop them off, and included in that will be at least one recipe to, again, help bring out some of the flavors that you said you really want to enjoy. Okay, and mm-hmm. so when you were curating the different spirits, were there a couple that you guys tried that you were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe how good this is and people aren't drinking it. Yes. What would be one that you would sort of 
say this like that? Um, Blackleaf. Okay, Blackleaf. <laughs> Which Bosley. is one of the ones we brought here today. So now where is Blackleaf from? Um, it's made in France. Okay. It is made in France. Um, it claims to be one of the very first organic vodkas made in France. Oh, mm-hmm. Um, And also on that list, the Tolero tequila is really great, which mm-hmm. is why we brought that here today. And the Guidance Whiskey, in one that we did not bring but that I really liked, um, and I don't normally like sweet, but it's the LS Cream. It's a little mm. bit maybe like a coquito, so when I drink it at home, I kind of add some nutmeg and okay. cinnamon in it. So seriously, yeah, this is like the year of the coquito because mm-hmm. we've been doing this for 14 years. Mm. Mexican eggnog. Nobody's brought Puerto in Puerto coquitos before. Well, Puerto Rican. Yeah. Puerto Rican. Um, and uh, we had like three people bring it in <laughs> this year. Is it, it originally is. Puerto Rican? Or I is it? So. I yeah, think it's it Puerto is Rican. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've made like making batches it. of it over the holidays for the past like 10 years. I love it. It's so good. So do you wake up with a headache every morning? <laughs> no, well, Tracy taught me a lot about tasting, right? Because in my mind, you taste it, you drink it. No. But she taught me a little bit more about the technique of, you know, the goal isn't to get drunk, it's to actually taste. So we do a little more swishing what? and spitting out. I, I was shocked. She's like, did you wish it? I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right. So, but when you're tasting, you know, when we're trying to actually figure out what categories each of the spirits sits, uh-huh. and we're tasting 30 to 40 spirits. Yeah, you so be careful. I had to teach her, like, exactly what that is, what we're looking for and then also how to spit that out and move on to the next okay one. so what do you you're now we're just going to taste a spirit right so what are we tasting next um let's see well how about we start with black leaf we've yep. talked about that a lot Good so idea. let's start with that okay one. while you pour that we're going to get to our next we're going to talk we're going to talk eggs a lot of people like... think i'm the walrus but i'm actually the egg man mm-hmm. because i but eat four eggs a day uh like clockwork and we have the egg the expert on the on the on the line with us uh lisa Steele is a, a real, no kidding, fifth-generation chicken keeper. Uh, she's founder of the popular blog Fresh Eggs Daily, and she wrote a great a cookbook really called The Fresh book. Eggs Daily Cookbook, Over 100 Fabulous Recipes to Use Eggs in Unexpected Ways. Hi, Hi there. Lisa. How are you, Lisa? Hi there. Thanks for having me. So, Lisa, I want to start off by saying I'm sure a lot of people are like, I mean, eggs? Like, you know, I don't think people realize how complex it all is, how complex they all are and how, I mean, we all have eggs in our fridge and people eat eggs on a daily basis. You need it for baked goods. You need them for so many things. And we do take them for granted, which is why your book is just, it's a wealth of knowledge. There's so much information in there. Tell us a little bit about, you know, being a chicken keeper and how all that sort of works into your life. Yeah, that's it's funny you should actually start off mentioning with that because when I was pitching the idea for the cookbook, I wanted to cook write a cookbook for ages and just really never thought it would happen. But when I started pitching the idea and looking for an agent and then a publisher, a few people I talked to just didn't understand the concept and wanted it to be more farm to table. They didn't think that there could be a cookbook purely all eggs. Mm. And I knew that they were wrong, (laughs) clearly, Clearly. (laughs) because I have a folder full of recipes that I didn't get a chance to include. We had to cut out so many. But you're right. I mean, eggs can be used in so many different ways, in so many different recipes. You can use just the yolks, just the whites. You can use the whole egg together. There's just so much to do with them. And even though I started out raising chickens and helping people with that and answering questions about keeping your chickens alive and healthy, I have found that it's actually the eggs that fascinate me. Because 
I think that they're just so much more interesting. So I'm, I'm having a blast talking well, to people about this cookbook because there is a lot about eggs that I think people don't know. There's a lot of, I mean, there's some really interesting information in here. And one of the things that surprised the hell out of me, the difference between white eggs and brown eggs is basically not at all, except for the kind of chicken the white eggs pop out of, right? Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. That is a very common misconception. For a long time, commercial uh, chicken farms only raised chickens that laid white eggs because those chickens tend to be smaller. They tend to eat less, so it's more economical to produce a dozen of white eggs. And then the perception was that brown eggs were coming from local farms and they were more healthy and the chickens were happier. So brown eggs started finding their way into the supermarkets and they're more expensive sold at a premium yes right because the perception was that they were healthier but really they're not it's they, just marketing all eggs start out white it's all marketing it's wait, wait, wait. start out white all eggs start Some out white breeds. yes mm-hmm. the egg starts out so a yolk is released from the chicken's oviduct and mm-hmm. then the egg white goes around it and then she puts a shell on it and the shell is white and then depending on the breed the egg might come out white or if she has brown pigment then she lays a brown egg. If she okay. has blue pigment, she lays a right, blue egg. Right, because we've gotten and like from our breeds, friends who have shades. farms, like we have speckled eggs, you know, those beautiful speckled eggs. I mean, that's all breed specific, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. But what you say really is at the end of the day, what's most important, aside from healthy chickens, obviously, pasture raised, humane, certified, et cetera. Happy chickens. Yes, right, happy very, chickens very um, is, um, is the freshness of the egg. And I think, and this kind of goes back to our conversation earlier with Dinesh. I mean, we are so accustomed to picking up our eggs in the grocery store, grabbing them. We look to make sure there's none cracked, but we certainly aren't looking at the freshness date, which you say is a real priority. So talk about that a bit, please. It really is. And it's um, I'm probably making enemies of all the commercial egg farms in the country. But Go ahead. The, on, on the end of each carton is a three digit code. And I think it's very sneaky. But but that's the day of the year that the eggs were put into that carton. So it's 001 to 365. And it corresponds uh. to the day of the year. So January 1st is 001. So interestingly enough, I had to buy eggs because I'm doing a lot of cooking demos to promote my cookbook and our chickens are freeloaders in the winter and they don't really lay much. So I had to go buy I thought you were going to say they're on strike. But... <laughs> right. And I brought them home. I bought six dozen, two from each of three farms mm-hmm. i got them home they all had been put in the carton almost a month ago wow and then you know you bring them home they might sit for a week or two before you use them all right. up so you're probably not eating eggs that are any fresher than four to six weeks old and if you compare that to an egg that might still be warm because the chicken was sitting on it after she laid it mm-hmm. there's just such a vast difference you know just a side-by-side comparison the fresh egg is going to have a nice thick white and the yolk is going to stand up nicely because it's got a, a membrane around it that breaks down as it ages. Mm-hmm. The protein bonds break down as they age. And if you crack an old egg into the pan, it's just going to go out. everywhere. Yeah. So if uh, Wait, we have to take a break. I don't want to take I a know. break. We're, we're going to be right back, though. Lisa, <laughs> just give us a second. Uh, David and Nikki Nellis, um, isn't there a phrase about breaking a few eggs? You got to break a few eggs. Uh, yeah. Just crack a few yolks. Okay, but I'm bump on that. Uh, this is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Um, we're talking to um, 
Lisa Steele, who's written, and she's she's a verifiable, real, no kidding, fifth generation chicken keeper. And she wrote a great book called The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. Um, we're we're deep into the whole egg thing. So the the omega threes and all of that in eggs, do they dissipate over time? In other words, if I eat a fresh an egg that just popped out of a chicken yesterday, versus four or five weeks from now. Is there any point to eating that older egg? Is there any point to eating the eggs that we buy at the market that are may, might be six weeks old? <laughs> there is. Interestingly enough, from everything I've read, the egg really doesn't lose all that much nutrition as it ages. It's more the about taste the taste. The there is going to, yes, mostly the taste and the texture is going to change. But nutrition-wise, yes, you still can eat old eggs, and you're still going to get the nutrition. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, baking with eggs. Um, you know, whether or not they, you know, you always hear you should have them at room temperature and things of that nature. What is it about all of that that is so important, especially with baking or cooking with eggs? It is really important when you bake, and not just eggs, but really all ingredients. If the recipe says cold butter, then use cold butter. If it mm-hmm. says room temperature butter, use room temperature. And same with eggs. If you add a cold element to your batter, like cold butter or cold eggs, it's going to to seize up the fats Mm -hmm. in that batter. It's not going to incorporate as well. So they really do mean it. And the ingredient temperature does matter. Mm -hmm. And as you were picking, you said you have this vast uh, selection of recipes. As you were picking out your recipes, what what were you trying to put in here? What, What were, as you were curating them, were you like, this is why this is in here? Like, how did you put it together? I did include some recipes that are family recipes that Mm -hmm. I remember my mom cooking or my grandmother cooking, and then others were favorites that I cook regularly now. And then I really wanted to include some that might intimidate people, but I wanted to sort of show that they aren't difficult. I love like a creme brulee or Mm -hmm. even a lemon meringue pie or a Boston cream pie, things like that are not really hard to make if you just break it down into the components. Or hollandaise sauce. I love Eggs Benedict. And I think a lot of people might be intimidated making their own hollandaise sauce. Because they're because they're afraid because they're afraid of the breaking, right? Like there's the Correct. there's something about whisking. Same thing with, you know, meringue. I think there's something about whisking that some people are they're they're nervous. It makes them nervous. What do you think that is? It does. And, I, you know, it, it shouldn't because the worst that's going to happen, I mean, we've eaten plenty of Eggs Benedict that the the uh, hollandaise sauce has broken. And you know what? It still tastes good. It still great. tastes good. It just might not end up on the cover of a cookbook. Right. But I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You throw it away. I think it just takes a lot of practice and being confident and comfortable and knowing when that point is. You can do the same thing with heavy cream. If you whip heavy cream too much, it's going to turn into butter eventually. Right. Well, right. But, let me yeah, ask you a question. It's just a matter of practice. Where do you stand on this whole? Because you know you can go into you can go to Starbucks now and get sous vide eggs and a little thing that they heat up for you, um, and they also have sous vide egg whites with a couple of pieces of red pepper. I, you know, to me, eating egg whites only is like kissing your sister. You know, it's like you know, what's the point? I mean, you're, you're missing all the, the the taste of the yolk. Is it? Is it? Better for you, worse for you? Are you missing some vitamins and minerals by not having the yolk in there? Should you do that if you want to lose weight or cholesterol or any of that? What's the deal? It is true that the yolk does contain most of the fat and cholesterol or pretty much all the fat and cholesterol in an egg, but it also contains 
all of the flavor, Mm -hmm. pretty much all of the nutrients, all the vitamins. I'm not a big believer in eating just the egg whites. I think you're missing the boat. I think that you need to eat the whole egg. Well, don't you feel like the egg got like in the 70s, got like a bad rap because of cholesterol. And then, of course, they reversed that and it got changed. But like with anything, you know, moderation is key. You shouldn't eat 20 eggs a day or anything like that. I have to tell you, the recipe that I cannot wait to make is your um, baked eggs in butternut squash rings. I love that. Uh, It's a gorgeous, gorgeous recipe. I just love it. If you were to tell somebody other than that recipe, something that you're like, you absolutely should make this no matter what, what would it be? Which recipe? Pick your recipe. Oh, another one of my, well, on the savory side, I guess I would say another one of the recipes I really love is the bacon beet hash. Mm. That's really great oh, comfort yeah. food. Why aren't you on the show today with that? <laughs> I, I mean, here. I know the, the, the cocktails sounded wonderful, too. It I would mean, go I with the cocktails. Small cocktail section. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love putting egg white foam on top of a sour. Mm. That's kind of a, a neat cocktail to make. Totally with But you. I think on the, on, on the sweet side, I, I think creme brulee, if you can get a hold of fresh eggs and and start making your own creme brulee it's just really a beautiful dessert great well listen uh lisa Steele, founder of fresheggsdaily.com and the fresh eggs daily cookbook which i assume is available everywhere tell us where we can find you on yes. instagram please sure on instagram facebook twitter pinterest at fresh eggs daily great. or fresheggsdaily.com well congrats on the book it's beautiful the photography is gorgeous and the recipes are great so thank you so much for joining us this morning Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. We love eggs. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All Let's right. get back to Kimberly, Sip Tracy. and Tipple. Okay. All right, wait a minute. Why don't you, for the, for the folks out there, including me, I, I think I know what a tipple is. Is a tipple like a little bit more than a, is a tipple a couple of sips? What's a tipple? It's just an alcoholic drink. Oh, it is? It's just a drink. Oh, I don't yeah, know diddly squat. <laughs> I don't know tipple. Right. He doesn't know tipple mm. about tipple. Okay, so you poured us the vodka. Yes, the black leaf vodka, which is uh, made in France and um, distilled five times. In wow. Copper pot. And I was incorrect. It is not from grapes. It is from winter wheat. Winter wheat. Yes, I was sort of really nice curious about that. Okay. Yeah, this is. So, what does it being distilled? It makes me want to go. <laughs> No, it's not strong. It has no. <laughs> no, burn. no, no. But you gotta, you gotta blow out the fumes. It's good. Um. So, what is it about the distilling five times that it does to the uh, flavor of the vodka? I'll let you go yeah. first. <laughs> um, so, when we're talking about distillation, you're talking about separating out specific compounds based on their volatility. So, when you boil something. Things that are are more volatile are going to come out first. So alcohol has a higher volatility point than water. Mm -hmm. So every time you boil it, you're going to purify and get more of the alcohol, less water. Um, You're going to get less of the top notes, which would be like your aldehydes and esters. And then you're going to get less of the fusels and fatty acids. You're really going to hone in on just getting pure ethanol. So every time you distill uh, another time, so five times, again, you're just looking for that purity of vodka. Okay, cool. So now... Tell us, uh, for people who want to do this themselves, 
Is it in the bathtub? <laughs> is it a subscription? How do we use Sip and Tipple? And it how is. do we? Is this a gift? Like, how are you advising people to do this? It can be a gift. It is also a quarterly subscription. So we have two levels of membership: our standard one fifty a quarter and our connoisseur one ninety nine a quarter. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a kind of sewer. Yes. <laughs> well, with that, you get your delivery earlier. You get to um, choose your bottles earlier to make sure that you get the selections that you want. Because you know with quarantine and corona, um, COVID-19, we have sub, definitely have supply issues, so some of our things are very limited. Mm-hmm. But one of the fun things that we are excited is that we will also help our members plan a tasting at their home for their friends to provide some oh, sip fun. and tipple products to do a tasting. And so that's what that level of membership, um, one of the additional things at that level. That is a great idea. Now, what about like bitters and things of that nature? How do you help guide people with that? Because for me... Um, I get the distilling and I get the product. But like once you start talking about bitters, I'm like, only a dash? I'm like, I don't understand. And so how do you help people with that part? So we have two things. One, that's um, the cocktail recipes will help with that. We'll also have some um, in our stores. Um, Hella carries a lot of um, bitters and accessories and mixers. So does Cane Collective and Locally Charismatic Creations. And so mm-hmm. we'll have all of those as part of our some of our curations. And then also we're excited that some of our brand owners and mixologists are willing to join us in our um, community and do some mixology classes to help people really understand their bottles and how to use them and make the cocktails at home. So you're going to do like uh, virtual cocktail yes. classes? We're going to do virtual and when things are a little calmer and as we're removing else? mass mandates, we'll start doing some in-person as well. I love that's it. Great. Yeah, it's that's so smart. exciting. Okay, so I adore what you guys are doing. I think it's really exciting. And I do believe that everybody should order Sip and Tipple. I think it's an amazing gift. Uh, so tell everybody where they can find you, please, uh, online and on Instagram. Online, sipandtipple.com. And on Instagram, we are the Sip and Tipple Club. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Thank you both so this much for great. joining us today. Uh, you. Do you have anything to say before I wrap it up? Uh, put the bad guys in jail. Okay. That part aside, Andy's like, I'm cutting that out. Uh, so no, we want to thank all of you for joining us today in studio. We have done a lot of exploration today. You have now learned about cuisine from Nepal. You are going to get your sip and tipple. You're going to order it. You're going to be making cocktails at home, and you're going to have some guidance. And the best part about it is that these are curated spirits Uh Uh, by uh, black-owned businesses, which I think is really important. We all talk about diversifying. Think about it. Cocktails, yak, and eggs, and you can eat it with a compostable spoon. There you go. Okay, David summed it up much better than me. Uh, Thank you all for joining us today. Listen, you don't have to show that vaccine card at everywhere anymore, but you may be asked, so just do it and be nice. You still have to wear a mask. It is going away, but if you're asked to do it, just be nice. Remember, there are supply chain issues. And there is also staffing shortages. Take your kindness, Phil. Just be good out there and uh, have a delicious week.